0: Welcome to Rock Stars of Remodeling, a podcast presented by Pro Remodeler Media, where the best and brightest stars in home improvement share actionable insights with like-minded industry standouts like you. I'm your host, Drew Bartow. I spent 13 years as the Director of Marketing for a replacement window and door company in Pittsburgh, where I learned a lot from some of the great minds in the home improvement industry. I aim to bring many of those voices to you on this show to help you gain more leads, close more sales, and boost your bottom line. Let's rock. This episode of Rockstars of Your Modeling is being brought to you by Marlamar. Marlamar is the home improvement industry's most experienced and comprehensive provider of text messaging services, which elicit faster responses from consumers to increase sales, impact productivity, and improve consumer experience. For more information, visit Marlamar.com. That's M-A-R-L-I-M-A-R.com. All right, hello everyone. I'm honored to have a home improvement legend on the show today. Charlie Gindell has over 50 years of industry experience, including running the wildly successful Renewal by Anderson of Orange County in California. After selling his business back in 2021, Charlie is what I would consider retired, but not really. He continues to share his invaluable insight with contractors through trainings, speaking engagements, and his book, Lessons Learned, My Journey from Contractor to Businessman. That's right, Charlie's an author too. In his book, he shares 10 secrets, or lessons, he's learned that will help contractors grow their businesses and improve their lives. Today, Charlie and I will give you a taste of what it takes by discussing three of those lessons. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Drew,
1: it's great to be here with you and look forward to chatting with you.
0: Yeah, so so you got out, but you're not out, right? So despite selling your business, uh, RBA of Orange County back in 2021, you're still busy in the home improvement industry. What have you
1: been up to? Well, I like to tell people that I'm in the home improvement re- remodeling uh, witness protection program. <laughs> <laughs> now, when the word got around in the fall of 2021 that I was going to be hanging them up, so to speak, uh, some people in the industry that I know uh, started reaching out to me and saying, "Hey, you know, we'd like to, you know, tap into your." into your experience and could you help us with the sales process could you do some teaching could you do some training could you do some coaching so i didn't have a grandiose plan for when i retired but uh you know it's kind of morphed into doing some coaching and training and uh helping people with some sales and challenges and uh and you know and i guess the the big thing when you own one of these businesses, uh, whether you're a sole owner or you have a partner or two or whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of a, can be a lonely existence as an owner. You can't always go to your, your rank and file team members and share every thought you have or every situation or challenge you have. So, uh, and and I find that, you know, a lot of people just need a little bit of a nudge or a little bit of encouragement, to to know that you're doing the right thing or avoid doing the wrong thing. So you know, I so I i that's, that's kind of what I try to do. I try to help people with the you know, the years of experience that I had and uh, you know, if I can help them through the thought process, make better decisions or just give them the confidence to make a decision they were already going to make, but now they make it with uh, just a little more certitude.
0: Yeah, and I I you know I was reading your book, actually both your books, uh you have Build It to Last as well, which is more of a memoir. Uh, and you know it's impressive that over the years the thirty eight years of owning home improvement businesses you you did over four hundred twenty five million dollars worth of business. so I think when when you talk, people listen and <laughs> as they should on on the topics, and I, I kind of want to start with marketing because, as you know, we've met through energy swing windows, you know you're good friends right. with Steve Rennekamp. yes and and so I've known you for about thirteen or fourteen years now, and my backgrounds in marketing, I was a director of marketing there, so let's start there. Uh, you know, one of the lessons in your book refers to marketing as the most essential part of a business. I agree, of course, but, but why do you feel this way? And and what are contractors doing wrong in marketing? And and how can they improve?
1: One of the things that and I think COVID had a lot to accelerate this. But one of the things I've seen is, uh, I think a lot of companies have become, they become lazy marketers. I mean, a lot of people are doing some type of pay per click type of you know, Google AdWords search type thing. And then people are doing, you know, some marketing on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, there's lead aggregators you can buy leads from. And and there's actually companies out there that will help you do this too. So you can write a, a check every month or give somebody your credit card and let them give them a budget and let them hit your credit card. And it's kind of like done for me marketing, right? But, but to me... It's very passive. I call it low hanging fruit because it's easy to do. It doesn't take 100% full time activity. And like I said, you can write somebody a check or give them a credit card and they do it for you. And I've seen a lot of companies that have morphed into just doing that. And I think in the post COVID boom, there were a lot of people that were, you know, just their phones were ringing off the wall. They're getting all the leads they could handle. But now that's changing and the COVID boom is over you know we got inflation talking about recessions and you know i have a client that i'm working with and uh you know they were looking at their marketing in 2020 2021 and they were doing some tv and and newsprint and and direct mail and then they were doing internet well they felt like their direct mail and tv wasn't really They weren't getting a good return on it, but they were getting a pretty decent return on their, on their internet type, you know, marketing. So they decided to cut out the direct mail and the TV and that other type of more traditional type of marketing and just focus it all on the internet. And they figured it was going to save about five or 6%. And that five or 6% would drop to the bottom line. And so they did that beginning of 2022 by last summer they were realizing that their lead flow was way down and uh, they weren't getting the leads and they, the internet alone wasn't delivering what they needed, but they were sure that these other tried and true types of marketing weren't working any longer. So they had abandoned that. So, and I know that it still works from my experience. So I said to them, let me see some of the stuff you're doing. So they sent me a couple of their TV spots and they sent me, copies of some of the printed direct mail. And I got to tell you, it was terrible. The messages were conflicting. It wasn't really clear what they were selling, what they had, no calls to action. They had no sense of urgency being created. It was kind of like all brand building, you know? And, and you know, we're not Nike or Coca-Cola or Budweiser. We're, we're some little mom-and-pop home improvement or remodeling company. You know, we want to build our brand, but the most, you know, but that's secondary to generating leads. You know, the reason we market is to make the phone ring and get appointments. So we revamped some of this stuff and they fired it back up. And all of a sudden the phone started ringing. So one lesson is you got to spend the marketing dollars. But the other thing is you got to spend them wisely and you got to do it well. Just the fact you spend the money is not the answer to the problem. You know, you got to spend it and then you got to do it well with good messages and hitting the right target market with the right media. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a multifaceted thing, but. That's the biggest thing I'm seeing is people have abandoned a lot of the tried and true traditional marketing.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people, as you mentioned, uh, just kind of got fat, dumb, and happy over <laughs> with COVID. The boost, the boom we had, and leads were just flowing in, and you could you could cut certain things and and trim here and there, and not do the the act, the proactive stuff, and get away with it. You were still you know flooded. And so I want to ask you though, you mentioned you know marketing budget for for a home improvement company. On a percentage basis, what, what do you think? I know it's different for everybody. Not everybody's the same and depending on your size and stuff. What What do you think is a fair range for a, a percentage of revenue that you should apply to your marketing budget? Yeah, that's a great
1: question. And and from my experience, I think that the minimum companies should be spending is about 8%. And I say that because a lot of companies that I've seen and talked to and worked with, you know they're spending three, three and a half, four percent, and they're thinking that's good. They're, they're they're amazed at how low. You know they're they're thinking that's a good thing. My marketing expense is low. You know, and when if you're spending eight percent, that's you know double four percent, right? So if I can do it for four percent, you know that's better than spending eight percent. But the reality of it is, those companies who're doing that generally do not have consistently low, and they are not growing. I don't believe in a home improvement arena, you could spend three or four percent of your revenue and have a growing business. You might be able to sustain an existing business, you know barely, but you can't grow it. So, and to me, companies that are really growing are spending ten, eleven, twelve percent. Some are spending as much as fourteen or fifteen percent. I think if you're spending you know less than eight percent, you should reconsider spending at least eight percent. Um, your revenue, annual revenue on marketing and budget that and build it into your selling price and then look for areas that, you know, wisely you can spend that money and and also try to have somewhat of a diversified marketing portfolio. Don't put, you know, all your eggs in, in one or two baskets You spread it around and do a combination of obviously the Internet related stuff and social media, but do some direct mail, do some events, do some shows. Do some marketing to past customers uh you know do some marketing to customers that you know maybe you gave a price to and they didn't buy just because they didn't buy today doesn't mean they won't buy tomorrow or next month or next year so don't you know don't exclude those customers stay in contact with them nurture those customers
0: now that makes a lot of sense charlie i think you have to depend no matter what you do I think you're talking about testing certain things, and you can then you can fine tune it, right? If something's working well for you, you do more of it. Something's not not working at all for you, you, you you cut it out or you do less of it. You figure it out. I think you have to constantly be, you know, looking at your data, looking at the results, and seeing what you're getting. So, and that's the difference between I think companies that have made
1: marketing the most essential part of the business and those that haven't. You know, if when it becomes the most essential part of your business, you are looking at it on a regular, consistent basis. You are tweaking, you are analyzing, you know, you're tracking what's doing and you're making adjustments as you go. You know, and, you know, the thing that I hear that bothers me when I hear it from people is, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Typically, what happens is number one that maybe the creative is not good, the message is not good, the off there's no offers or calls to action, there's nothing to create a sense of urgency. But over and above that, you know, they they, they do a direct mail campaign once and then they didn't get the response they thought they would need, or and in some cases they probably did, but they don't have they're not geared to really track it, so they're just guessing, they don't really know, and. You know, uh, to me, one of the things you learn after many years in in business, I think, is that inconsistent, haphazard efforts tend to yield inconsistent, haphazard results. And doing things consistently, you know, tend to going to generate a more consistent result. And, you know, direct mail. I mean, if you do direct mail campaign, you don't hit these people once and then say, all right, I've done it now. I'll move on to something else. You got to hit them over and over and over again. And if you think about marketing you see on television, you know, I mean, you see these ads for certain products or companies over and over again, you know, and not everybody picks up the phone to write the first time. And not everybody is at that point in the buying cycle where they have a need for whatever it is being marketed. But eventually, you you know, you build your brand and hopefully you can, in our business, you create some offers to make people, you know, get up off the couch and pick up the phone, or go to the computer and submit a form, and and book an appointment. And marketing is not designed to sell jobs. Marketing is designed to sell appointments. Sales job is to sell the jobs,
0: but marketing's job is to sell the appointments. I love that. I love that. Marketing's job is to sell the appointments. I think i heard that before, and probably from you because we've had the connection at CCN and and with Steve, but. Uh... You know, we could talk marketing all day, you and I, for sure. Uh, But I do want to turn to a couple other topics uh, that I've read in your book, and I think they're really relevant today. Uh, One of those is being uh, hiring the right people and and getting rid of the wrong ones. And I think that's even more critical today, uh, you know, with the labor market the way it is. You wrote that a company's culture equals the positive behaviors you encourage minus the negative behaviors you tolerate. Can you talk about what you mean by this and, and how it relates to employer retention and recruitment in today's environment? Yeah, well, I mean, every company has
1: a culture, whether you're conscious of it or you know it or, you, or you, you know, as an owner, you you know, you think you've built a culture, whatever you have. I mean, even if you did nothing, you build a culture, you know, but in a growing environment, we want to build a positive culture, a culture where people are engaged people you know you have a passion for what they do and people are all signed in and on board with the big picture of what the company's trying to accomplish so many times we let people linger we let people that are not performing in whatever role it is we let them linger you know and there's certain behaviors that we should be encouraging you know and we should have that performance based mentality and the people in our company should know that we're performance based and everybody's uh, contributions either add to or subtract from the sum total of of the collective effort. so we want to encourage positive behaviors and, and and performance but we also if we if we tolerate or accept you know poor performance or poor attitudes or negativity or no teamwork or you know that becomes part of our culture too you know i recently was talking to a company uh, an owner of a company he had like three or four key employees leave his business in like two week period wow and it's he's like kind of devastated by it and i and i thought well it's to myself, I said, something's got to be wrong there. So when I started talking to him and dug into it, he had, you know, he's gotten to the point where he thinks he's like, he's not working in the business, he's working on the business, right? Which we hope as owners, we need to do. But he actually got detached from the day-to-day of the business. His rank and file, people never hardly ever saw him around. He didn't engage with them anymore. You know, he used to know everybody by their name. Now he doesn't know people and he's not you know, he's not going out to job sites. He's not there in the morning. He doesn't have a monthly company meeting. And so, you know, he the culture has changed in his business because he's, in his mind, I think he's gotten a little bit aloof.
0: Wow. It's amazing the impact certain behaviors have on company culture. Now, we could do a whole episode on company culture, but before I leave the program today, I'd love to touch upon a very important facet of of your success, Charlie, and that's sales. I think you wrote that, you know, it's imperative for contractors to have teachable, trainable, repeatable and perfectible sales systems. So, you know, above all else, is, is that the key to long-term long-term success in this industry? Like, and in, in what is your, what was your sales process like, you know, and, and why did it work so well for you?
1: As we evolved, you know, we eventually went to a one call sales process about a dozen years ago and, uh, and you know a lot of people think that the one call sales process uh, you know involves pressuring a customer into a decision and actually the process that we used and evolved I mean was couldn't have been further from that I mean uh, you know we do give the customer a financial incentive to buy today but no one would buy today at any price if it wasn't the product they wanted and we didn't have the specifications and workmanship they wanted and that we weren't the company that they believed in could do the job the best so our, our process really revolves around uh, teaching and educating customers showing them the product options that are available in the market and evolving to the product that we sell which ultimately we feel is the best not the cheapest but the best long-term product getting them excited about that getting them to commit to that product then educating them about workmanship and specifications and so they understand that part of the equation and then you know explaining who our company is and what we offer uh, and why you know we're the best choice you know for them to partner up with so only when you get commitments on those areas does the price even matter right so then if we if we have the product they want, we have the specifications and workmanship they want, and we're the company they want, then, you know, we can save time if they're in a position to buy today, we give them an additional incentive. If they're If they're not in a position to move forward today, we'll come back and see them a second or a third time. You know, that's not a problem. But those customers that are able to move forward when we meet with them for the first time actually save us time and money and allow us to meet with more customers. It's just, you know, it's a premises, you know, time is money. And most people, when you explain it to them, logically, they understand that. So we went from selling about of the jobs we sold, about 40 percent of them were sold on sold on the first call. We went to selling 97 percent of the jobs we sell on the first call with this new sales methodology. The other thing about having the sales methodology is it's one that we can teach and train it's repeatable and ultimately when you focus all your attention you can perfect it so most people you know they're just out there winging it you know they don't really have a strategy they don't have uh, any game plan that they follow and you know they, they sell jobs but you know not always effectively and efficiently so our process was designed to take people that know nothing about our business and our industry teach them and train them about the products, about the industry, and then also, you know, our sales methodology and how to price out jobs correctly. And, and by doing
0: that, we were able to
1: grow our sales
0: team. So in those dozen years, since you implemented that, that one step sales process uh, revenue wise, how much did you grow? Uh, We grew
1: from about seven or 8 million to about 48 million.
0: Wow. 12 years. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Hey, if you're wondering how you can read all 10 of Charlie's lessons, go buy his book on Amazon. It's called Lessons Learned, My Journey from Contractor to Businessman. It's an incredible read packed full of actionable insights. And if you want to learn more from the legend in person, register for Pro Remodeler's main event, The Pinnacle Experience, coming to Philadelphia in September 2023. Charlie will be a featured speaker where he'll share three key observations and three opportunities he sees for home improvement companies in the areas of marketing and sales. Plus, he'll be previewing his Pro Remodeler Expert Series class on what it takes to accelerate the growth of your business. Charlie, thank you again for joining me, and, and I can't wait to see you uh, See you soon, and, and let's do this again. Look forward to it, Drew. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rockstars of Remodeling. As promised, there were some amazing takeaways that you can use to build a better business for yourself, your employees, and your customers. If you've got an idea for a future episode or a guest I should invite onto the show, I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to follow Rockstars Modeling on Spotify or SoundCloud. And click the like button on this episode. Until next time, rock on.